there. Pull up a chair. I'm going to talk about fire today. You know that song you just heard? Fire. I heard that group in concert a couple of times. Um, I was looking for, I heard some songs about fire. And when I went looking, I couldn't find the song that was in my head. And it was from an old song from the 60s. I would have seen it at concerts. They were the opening act for The Doors and other people who I would have seen during that time. And it's called Arthur Brown and the Crazy Something. But anyway, the words are interesting. I am the God of Hell Fire, and I bring you fire. I'll take you to burn. Fire. I'll take you to burn. I'll see you burn. You fought hard and you saved and earned, but all of it's gone to burn. And your mind, your tiny mind, you know you've really been so blind. Now's your time. Burn your mind. You're falling too far behind. Oh no, oh no, oh no. You're going to burn. Fire to destroy all you've done. Fire. And the beat goes on. And I'll play another song by the same group at the end, which has a very interesting meaning also. Why am I thinking about fires? Well, <laughs> um, well, because I think this country was built as a movie set. Yeah, you heard me, a movie set. Temporary, temporary buildings. And I've got several things I'll be covering today. Why I think it was built as a movie set, how they probably did it, and what do all these old buildings mean? All this Tartari stuff you're seeing all over YouTube. What is all that stuff? Is any of this stuff real? Does any of it make any sense? Well, it's on YouTube and it's popular, so no, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And also, these people have a very serious history of burning things up and using explosives. 9-11, what was that about? Explosives and fire, right? They had fires that destroyed records in the mid-1800s. What's all that about? Well, hiding evidence, right? So let's talk first here. I read this quote, and I, some days none of this is technically funny, right? Um, I was reading this thing, and they were talking about ever since they started using wood for construction in this country, fires became a problem. <laughs> Imagine that, right? Imagine that. Because remember when I was talking about the San Francisco earthquake? Well, it was an interesting story, right? That guy that just had that marvelous idea to start Bank of America because of the fire and the earthquake, right? Yeah, so um, I was also looking into, there's a show that you can watch for yourself, and it's called Why So Many American Homes Are Flimsy, Cheddar Explains. In the 1832, because around that time frame, a new system for erecting wood buildings called balloon framing helped to make possible the phenomenal growth of American cities in the treeless regions west of Chicago during the 9th century. Don't believe that 9th century part, but I do believe the framing part. Balloon framing is a system of construction that utilizes light wood elements than traditional bracing framing. And a version of it continues to be employed as the main method of wooden frame construction in the USA today. According to architect historian Paul Sprague, 
Balloon framing was first used by George Washington Snow in the construction of a warehouse in Chicago in 1832. There was some argument over this construction, not that worried about it, but that gives us a date to work for, right? Because we got all these fires going on all around this country. I also read another quote that every city in the world has at one time been burned down <laughs> and reconstructed. Well, I think we got some pyromaniacs on our hands here. So, um, according to this other piece of crap historian, the balloon framing is clearly a product of the American Industrial Revolution. This is the kicking off point here, folks, the American Industrial Revolution, along with all of those world's fairs, incubator babies, world's fairs, transporting children. That's where this all leads, right? And I'll get to that in a minute here. It is characterized by its use of thinner, standardized sawn framing members and material machine-made nails, as opposed to the heavy timbers and complicated joinery used in traditional wood construction methods. So, not going to get into all the details of how wood framing works, but use your fingers and go look up balloon framing. The history of balloon framing. It was the first prefabricated building system in the United States. I think they likely use balloon framing when they make movie sets. Do I know that for sure? No, of course I don't. Um, but it makes sense, right? So, um, the prefabricated balloon frame buildings were obviously an innovative technology breakthrough. Because one Chicago-style balloon frame called the Illinois Cottage was displayed at the Paris Exhibition in 1867. And then you could buy your home through a catalog, a home, a home that was used balloon framing. Balloon framing evolved into several variations, including western or platform. Um, not enough detail that I really want to worry about, but go look for those things. Um, so... I was looking on YouTube. There's I gotta say this in the middle here, just because. Well, it fell in the middle. There's all this thing on YouTube now about looking at old buildings. Okay, and um, it's interesting. Now I only have been scanning around this whole deal the last few days. People have been sending me links for these people for a very long time, but like the Bohemian Grove deal, just getting to it, right? So. I've never watched one of their shows all the way through. When I scan, I scan, okay? Um, what I found when I scanned was this is completely controlled opposition, right? Getting people looking at those old buildings. And they are saying some interesting things, but do I really need six hours to get one interesting idea? So, basically what's happening is they're lamenting about old buildings. Oh, look, a building was here. Oh, look, they took us out here. And they're calling them things like the parasites and this and that. Well, it's deflecting your attention in several directions. And I'm not going to over-engage here. I've done enough about controlled opposition. Use your heads, people. They're talking, they lament about things like, for example, they, one woman had a very good idea as far as looking at the mental institutions that were built in this country in the 1800s. Well, I think those mental institutions were built at that time frame, because that was where they were going to house those of us who could not be contained, right? Otherwise, why would they have this huge mental facility 
in a very small area with not a huge population? Well, because people were then brought to those facilities because a transition between a reset, certain people aren't going along with it, right? They needed a place to lock those people up. So they're going along in this conversation about these mental words and stuff, and it's all starting to make sense, right? But here's where it gets tricky. Then they start saying things like, well, what a shame that happened back then. It's really horrible to think what they did to people back then. And even in the comments, people were like, yeah, that was really a tough time back then. Locking those people up in those mental words. <laughs> I've got news for you. They're still locking us up, okay? So see how it starts to deflect from the truth. Now you got a whole bunch of people that's listening to that old building loser, and they're coming away with the idea that that was a thing of the past, okay? And nobody's identifying who exactly did all this. So that's why they're doing the building stuff. So, yeah, it is, yeah, of course there's old buildings all over this place. There was, we existed previously. And somebody actually asked me, why don't I look at more old buildings? Well, I've got to ask you a question. If I spent all this time looking at old buildings, would I have connected the past that I believe these old buildings were used for the harm and transport of children? So no, I'm not all that interested in where the mud came up to an old building right now. If I end up with hundreds of hours of time on my hands, yeah, then I'll look at what buildings they screwed with, okay? But for right now, let's just focus on what those buildings were used for, what hidden secrets were behind the reasons for all the buildings in this country. And I think the hidden reason is because this was a movie set. The Gypsy Jews sung and danced their way through this entire deal. So i got a lot more to say about that, but I'm going to stop right now because today I'm only going to talk about fires, <laughs> old buildings, and explosions. So, so anyway, so I took a look at what does the Bible say about fire? The word fire appears 549 times. The word fire brand appears twice. The word fire brands, plural, appears three times. The word fire pan appears four times. The word fires only appears once. Now, there's a whole bunch of different Bibles. I think this is from the King James Version. Another question that came up, how many times did fire fall from heaven in the Bible? The Bible records at least six of these instances that fire fell from heaven and destroyed Job's flock. That was in Job 1, colon, 1, 6, 1, colon 16. This was a direct attack from Satan. But as the earlier part of Job 1 explains, Satan was acting with the permission of God. Well, <laughs> whatever, okay. I'm just repeating what's being told, okay. So anyway, so uh, um, lots of burning going on. Lots of burning going on. Okay, they burned the cities with fire and all that was in it. This this was a Bible quote. Let me back up here a second. I just scanned through a few Bible quotes. Joshua 6, colon 24. It's called Verse Concepts. They burned the city with fire and all that was in it. Only the silver and gold... And articles of bronze and iron they put in the treasury of the house of the Lord. Now, if that doesn't sound like a bunch of Jews <laughs> writing that stuff, I don't know what to tell you. So, yeah, 
all that was left. Yeah, burning of records is a really big deal with these people, right? Okay, fire is a rapid oxidation of a material, the fuel, in the echothermic chemical process of combustion, releasing heat, light, and various reaction products. Fire is hot because the conversion of the weak double bond in molecular oxygen, O2, to the stronger bonds in the combustible products releases this other step. The body energies of the fuel play only a minor role here. At a certain point, the combustion reaction, called the ignition ignition point, flames are produced. So we get flames when we get combustion from explosions, right? Now, we don't need to become explosive experts in all this, right? I'm just trying to understand their knowledge of explosives and fires because it certainly seems suspicious that a lot of fires happen all the time, right? Fires consist primarily of carbon dioxide, water vapor, oxygen, and nitrogen. If hot enough, the gases may become ionized to produce plasma. People are talking about plasma attacks, okay, like it's some obscure thing. Well, it com- plasma comes from fire and the gases, right? Depending on the substances aligned and any impurities outside, the color of the flame and the fire's intensity will be different. Fire, in its most common form, can result in conflagration, which has the potential to cause physical damage through burning. Fire is an important process that affects ecological systems around the globe. The positive effects of fire include stimulating growth and maintaining various ecological systems. Well, I don't know positive. The negative effects include hazards to life and property, atmospheric pollution, and water contamination. If fire removes protective vegetation, heavy rainfall may lead to an increase in soil erosion by water. Also, when vegetation is burned, the nitrogen it contains is released into the atmosphere. Unlike elements such as potassium and phosphorus, which remain in the ash and are quickly quickly recycled into the soil. The loss of nitrogen caused by a fire produces a long-term reduction of the fertility of the soil. But they say this could be recovered by um, converting it to ammonia and some sort of fertilizers. But here's the thing. They're running out of fertilizer, supposedly, okay? And um, they burned up a lot of California where most crops come from. So is that part of the plan to get the um, ground so screwed up nobody can grow anything? Who knows? So fire has been used by humans in rituals, in agriculture for clearing land, for cooking, generating heat and light, For signaling propulsion purposes, smelting, forging, incineration of trash, cremation, and as a weapon or mode of destruction. Early thermal weapons, such as Greek fire. Now, this is from ancient times, so I'm not saying I agree with it all, okay? But it is interesting. They write the lies. Some of them we should take a look at. Just don't beat your head alive down some major rabbit hole. The idea is they created such a um, network of rabbit holes that 
most of these people fly down one rabbit hole and they stay there, like with these old buildings and stuff. And that is the entire trap of rabbit holes. So let me read you what this rabbit hole says, okay? Early thermal weapons, such as Greek fire, have existed since ancient time. See, all these people are talking about thermal weapons, but nobody ever said what it was. At its roots, the history of chemical explosions lies in the history of gunpowder. Boom, boom. During the Tang Dynasty of the 9th century, Taoist Chinese alchemists were eagerly trying to find their elixir of immortality. And they... In the process, they stumbled upon the explosive invention of black powder made from coal, saltpeter, and sulfur in 1044. I never knew that it was black powder was made from coal, saltpeter, and sulfur. Interesting, right? Gunpowder was the first form of chemical explosives. So then the Chinese were using them to make firecrackers. Which has always concerned me because all of our firecrackers come to this country from China. And that's why sometimes they blow up and knock a kid's hand off. Because in the urge to save money in those Chinese factories, they use actual gunpowder in fireworks that they sell here. (laughs) Oh boy. The Chinese also invented live rats inside the bamboo firecrackers. When fired toward the enemy, the flaming rats created great psychological ramifications, scaring enemy soldiers away and causing cavalry units to go wild, firing flaming rats. Okay, that's a pretty good story. Okay. Oh, now we're getting now we're getting to where we need to pay attention here, okay? The first useful explosive Stronger than black powder was nitroglycerin, developed in 1847. Since nitroglycerin is a liquid and highly unstable, it was replaced by nitrocellulose, TNT, in 1863. Smokeless powder, dynamite, in 1867. So, yeah, you'll have to go to look for this stuff on your own because I just can't read you all these complicated things. But just go look for the history of explosives and put wiki after that name and it will lead you right there. So, (laughs) starts with a little bit of coal. Gee, how do we keep going around coal, right? Um, So now we get interesting. The largest commercial application of explosives is mining. Whether the mine is on a surface or is buried underground, the detonation or deflagration of either a high or low explosive in a confined space can be used to liberate a fairly specific subvolume of a brittle material in a much longer volume. The mining industry tends to use nitrate-based explosives such as emulsions of fuel oil and ammonium nitrate solutions. Wow. Can you imagine being in a coal mine here and smelling that stuff? Mixtures of ammonia nitrate prills, they're called fertilizer pellets, and fuel oil oil make combustible materials. Wow. Um, I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't sound very good to work on a mine to me. So I don't think the construction of wood in this country was any kind of a mistake, right? 
And then also, uh, before I get to the fire, <laughs> fire hazards here, um, what about the California Gold Rush? That was in 1848 to 1855. What a cheap way to get a bunch of people out to California, right? I think they likely set up the movie industry first, but I got to get back to that in a bit because I'm starting to get it out of order here, and I will only confuse you at this point. But it will make sense in a bit here, okay? Trust me, it'll make sense. So, remember, the orphan trains operated between 1854 and 1929, right? So would we have happening arrived at that time? Well, we have... Ellis Island, the emigra Immigration Gateway, the Process Center on Ellis Island in Upper New York Bay opened its doors. By 1954, ancestors of over 100 million Americans alive today would have begun their journey to U.S. citizenship here. Ellis Island, right? Well, pretty interesting, right? What happened on Ellis Island? Well, gee whiz, they had, happened to have a fire there. Where was it? When was that fire? Well, 1897. <laughs> I mean, really, I could not make this stuff up if I just went back to taking LSD, okay? And by the way, I only took LSD from probably 1968 to 71, so... <laughs> Okay, 1897, Ellis Island had a fire. Do tell, right? So at some point or other in their research, every family historian will likely discover the sad fate of the 1890 census. <laughs> and yeah, let's, let's focus on those old buildings, right? critical time of population growth and change in America's history. The 11th census of the United States should have contained the detailed records of more than 60 million individuals. But instead, <laughs> we have a few thousand left. <laughs> This is a fabulous story. I'll try to get it together here, okay? Because this involves a cute little dog that woke everybody up during the fire. <laughs> okay, this is their story about what happened on Ellis Island. The first immigration station building on Ellis Island in New York in 1892 was a fire trap from the beginning. The main building was made of over 4 million feet of resin-soaked lumber. with no effort put into fireproofing. Despite multiple stories, there were no fire escapes. When the inevitable happened, <laughs> just snuck up on them, right? <laughs> just after June 15, 1897, there were between 180 and 250, and I feel, I, I'm not laughing about this part, just to be very clear about that, okay? There were supposedly 180 and 250 immigrants asleep on the island, plus a staff. The fire apparently began in the kitchen. I'm reading from their words, okay? <laughs> and spread to all the buildings on the island. 
And since this is an article from the Hatching Cat, there was an animal involved, a heroic dog named Jack. <laughs> like Jack Kennedy and Jack, his wife. <laughs> While all this chaos was going on, one attendant, who was not on duty that night, slept right through the alarm and continued sleeping in an upstairs room. This was according to Samuel Peterson. He was sleeping in a room over the restaurant where he was awakened by San Dr. Center's Newfoundland dog named Jack. He was a Newfound Newfoundland dog. And they also mess with the dogs and make them all breeds, right? So does it shock you they're trying to breed people? A lot of people have already been bred. Breeding people has been their thing, okay? So don't kid yourself. That's what's been going on here. So, But not like you're thinking with that transhuman stuff. Yeah, so Jack, the Newfoundland dog, was trying to drag him out of bed. Quite a dog, right? Jack had reportedly run up the stairs and through the flames and smoke to wake Samuel. I would believe that part. Dogs would do that. Most people would run, but dogs would come and get us. <laughs> okay, let me start over again. Jack had reportedly run up the stairs and through the flames and smoke to wake Samuel who had become overcome by the smoke. The dog also came to rescue one of the firemen who worked in the restaurant and slept in a room above Samuel's room. Again, it says, news reports differ on the number of men who were rescued from the rooms above the restaurant. Yeah, these stories become very hard to keep straight, right? That's a problem with lying. When you're a liar, you got a lot to keep track of. Jack wasn't the only hero of the fire. And astonishingly, no one died. Well, that's always good. Now I can get back to laughing, right? <laughs> but, the, but, the, but the immigration station was a complete loss, as many had predicted. And, uh, yeah, I think you want to read the story of the Ellis Island of Fire and the history of the New York and the role of U.S. immigration. So, yeah, thank Jack the dog that nobody died. But Jack obviously wasn't able to save all of the immigration records for, what, 30, 40 million people? Yeah, okay, this is all making a lot of sense to me now. And everything, actually, to tell you the truth, everything is making more sense to me. It may not sound like it, but it is. I have wondered for so long, especially the last few years, about why so many children die in, you know, infancy here. Why so many abusive vaccines in this country? Why does this country have, you know, only 5% of the population but consumes 80% of the opioids produced, okay? All of these things make perfect sense to me because this is a penal colony, okay? It is a prison system. <laughs> and nobody knows it. That's the part that is just crazy, right? <laughs> you look around and nobody around here realizes they all think that they all think the Constitution means something. They all think the laws mean something. They think laws are to protect us. We're in a dual world, folks. They wrote the rules for a reason. So what was the worst fire in U.S. history? The single worst fire in U.S. history in both size and fatalities, this is not funny, is known as the Great Pershing Fire, which burned... 3.8 million acres and killed at least 1,500 in northern Wisconsin 
and the Upper Peninsula of Michigan during the week of October 8 to 14, 1871. So now we have to wonder what was being kept there in Michigan that they were so hot to set on fire, right? What is the largest fire in American history? Well, that would be called the Great Fire of 1910 and occasionally referred to as the Big Burn. Two Bs, that would be 33, right? Is believed to be the largest single fire in recorded U.S. history. The Great Fire of 1910, Wiki, that's what you're looking for, okay? It burned more than 3 million acres in Idaho, Montana, and Washington, in all a total area roughly the size of Connecticut. Yeah, lots of fires going on, right? And um, let me see here. Then I was looking at the deadliest fires and explosions in U.S. history because remember, 9-11 um, was a explosion and a fire. So we had 9-11, <clears throat> excuse me, September 11th, 2001. Number of deaths, supposedly 2,666. 666. <laughs> so they seem to have had a little bit of a break before they set fire to New York because I'll give you a few on this list of the most deadly ones, okay? <clears throat> so I think that World Trade Center in New York had the highest number of deaths. There was the SS Sultana, a steamship boiler explosion and fire on the Mississippi River. 1547 death. That happened on April 27th, my birthday, 1865. Hmm. There was a forest fire in Wisconsin. 1,152 people dead, 1871. There was a General Slocum Excursion Steamship Fire in New York, June 15, 1904. 1,039 people died. And this is not taking into account all the buildings. I have an example of one of them here at the end because I didn't have time to run through every one of them. <laughs> we had the theater called the Iroki Theater in Chicago, December 1903. 602 people. Looks like an eight to me, six and two. I can still do my math, right? Okay, and I'm not saying that all these fires are real, right? There was a Coconut Grove nightclub fire in November of 1942. Yeah, lots of forest fires, lots of fires. Ohio State Penitentiary caught on fire in April of 1930. Mutationship caught on fire. We had the earthquake and fire in San Francisco. April 18, 1906. Consolidated school gas explosion. New London, Texas. March 1937. Yeah, lots and lots of fires. Lots of coal mine fires. Major coal mine explosion. Mather, Pennsylvania. May 19, 1928. 273 people died. Coal mine explosion. Dawson, New Mexico. October 1913. 263 people died. The St. Paul Mine and Mine Explosion, Cherry, Illinois, November 13, 1909, 259 people allegedly died. And then we have the Big Banana, the Great Chicago Fire, Chicago, Illinois, lots of records, 
the Chicago one was October 8 to 9, 1871. Okay? So, um, I'm going to be talking a little bit about fires here because I have, um, yeah, that's what I did. Okay. I have the old building stuff at the end there and what all that Tartarian stuff. Well, what I think it means. You can make your own decision. Your time is your time. I'm just explaining it how I see it. If you love these people, go love these people. I think they're just creeps and liars. But, hey, if they're your friends, don't let me get in the way of it, okay? Okay, California. California has been burning up forever, okay? Um, I'm not going to over-engage on the California wildfires. Do a wiki search. California wildfires. Wiki. So, I'm just going to give you an overview as an example of how they have been consistently burning up California. These other states, they maybe got one big fire. But for some reason, California, full disclosure, I was born in California. For some reason, they are very focused on burning up California. The California wildfires of 2021 are a series of wildfires. They burned in wild parts of California in the United States. As of July 26, 2021, a total of 5,566 fires happened with 458,000 acres burned in California. Brush fires destroyed at least 323 buildings and at least seven firefighters were hurt during the fires. California's wildfire season started earlier in 2021 than it had in other years. Imagine that, right? Imagine that. Everything's going on fire. Got a disease. Got a fake virus. <laughs> Get those shots, people. There was a long drought and much less rainfall than usual. The reservoirs were also lower than usual. Well, this is all by design, but let me keep my little comments out of this. I'll just continue reading. <laughs> the California Department of Forestry and Fire Protection said that in January 2021 alone, 297 fires happened across 1,171 acres of non-federal land. This is almost three times the number of fires than the average five years. It is more than 20 times the area of the five-year average. The January fires were worse because of strong Santa Ana winds. Well, who creates the Santa Ana winds, right? Some of the fires burned in the same areas as previous fires. Imagine that. They burn the same areas twice. Well, that just seems to make a lot of sense to me, right? <laughs> if you want a lot of fires in the news, how about you just burn the same area a few times, right? The long-term trend is that wildfires in the state are on the increase due to climate change. I don't even want to get started on that. <laughs> yeah. We're dealing with a society of people who can't spend one minute doing anything, right? One minute is too much. That's why YouTube, who knows their customers, is pushing those YouTube shorts of no longer than two-minute videos, right? Because that is who we're dealing with here. People with the attention span of two minutes, okay? So, yeah, it becomes very easy 
to start pushing certain agendas like climate change. People see these fires and they think, well, that's another sign we need to worry about climate change. Well, I don't know. How about you start with the U.S. military being the biggest polluter in the world? Oh, I don't know. How are these impulsive people in this country? You really think they're going to like to have their cars go to charging stations? <laughs> they can barely stand it to put gas in their cars. You think people are going to pull along the side of the road and put their thing into a charging station and hang out for an hour or two while their car charges? The electrical grid in California was never set up properly. None of this stuff makes sense, but who's looking, right? That's how they sell this stuff because nobody looks at the facts. If you're setting up for electrical cars, don't you think you should worry about the electrical grid first? I mean, come on, let me not throw too much uh, logic into this fight here. So yeah, so they're essentially burning things up and calling it calling it a need for climate change. And another need for, whoops, the records were all burned, right? So let me give you a few statistics, and then I'll get off the fires and back to the more interesting stuff. So yeah, uh, they have burned... In 2020, and we're a year away from there, right? This is as of September 2020. Acres burned, 2,277,000. Number of fires, 7,606 fires. Deaths, seven. Structures damaged or destroyed, 3,849. Big impact with those fires, right? Um, so, yeah, uh there's a lot of famous California fires you can look for. You want to look for the one called Campfire. In November 2018, the Campfire broke out in Northern California. This fire went on to consume over 150,000 acres of land, destroyed nearly 19,000 structures, and killed 85 people. The campfire also drove 27,000 people, drove, okay, got them out of the area, relocated from the town of Paradise out of their homes. The fire started by power lines has become the deadliest and most destructive fire in California history. It is named Camp Fire. Just do Camp Fire Wiki. Biggest fire in history. Um, another big one, Mendocino Complex. The Mendocino Complex Fire, which started in July of 2018, refers to the damage caused by two neighboring fires, the Ranch and River Fires. The extreme humidity and triple-digit temperatures during the summer of 2018 created ideal conditions for those fires to spread and grow quickly, leading to the destruction of over 450,000 acres of land, making it the largest fire in the state's history. So, then we got one more I'll look at here uh, that was interesting. Um, that These had to do with uh, the most deadly ones. I'm, if I started trying to read you all the fires, uh, I would, well, we'd, we'd still be here next year. Tom Thomas Fire. The Thomas Fire which devastated Santa Barbara County and Ventura County, broke out in December 2017 and quickly grew out of control. The fire was started by power lines and was fed by strong winds and dry vegetation. Starting to notice some patterns here. Winds, dry vegetation, power lines, heat. 
The fire went on to destroy nearly 282,000 acres, over, over 1,000 structures, making it one of the largest and most destructive fires to date. The tunnel, it's the Oakland Firestorm. In October 1991, a simple brush fire in Oakland, California, turned into the costliest fire in the state's history, with damages totaling over $1.5 billion. Embers from the fire spread throughout the area, starting many smaller fires that emerged into one, one larger wildfire. Firefighters were eventually able to put the fire out. However, the fire had already killed 25 people, consumed 1,600 acres, and destroyed 2,900 structures. Cedar Fire, beginning in October 2003 and lasting until December of the same year. Some of these fires go on for months, okay? And I don't know if I put it in my notes here, but in California, the prison system, the inmates, work as firefighters. I'm not going to repeat it all here, but yes, we are a penal system, okay? People who get locked up in prison in California, they get used as firefighters, and they get paid like a dollar a day. California saves billions of dollars every year on these fires because, hey, they can set all the fires they want, right? Because they got all the free labor of all those inmates. Yeah, okay, I'm, I'm done with this right now. Give me one second here, and I'll get back to the buildings. Um, Cedar Fire. That was that went that long, um, including three firefighters. Well, there are only a few of California's more devastating fire, wildfires. Um, then they had their ten most destructive ones. Just go look at fires, fires and explosions. Okay, now let's get to this Tartary stuff that would be so crazy about on YouTube. Okay, a um, couple things before I get started. How I think this controlled opposition is working, okay? It's all about controlling your time, right? Is there some relative uh, things relatable these people are talking about? Sure, probably. That's how it works, right? Bring you in with a little bit of the truth, spin your head off with a bunch of lies. And so I did a spot check of, um, there's a, they're all kind of a, forming a little group of them now, right? All these people into these old buildings and stuff. They're all referring to each other. They're, they're, they're linking to each other. They're, they're becoming a little group, okay? And the two bigger players in the group, um, one of them, uh, they covered the orphan uh, train as part of their old building thing, right? Well, they spent, and I clocked it, okay, they spent exactly three minutes talking about the orphan trains, okay? All they did was lament about, oh, that must have been sad for the children, right? But no, no, no thinking about how did this all happen, what happened, you know, it was just, it was just strange, okay? Another one of the key people in this whole thing, she totally, Andy caught this one. I missed that comment. Andy caught this one. She totally brushed off the orphan train thing. Totally brushed it off. So, yeah. And then one of them also, in one of their shows, said something like, um, it's not important to prepare now. They were talking about the buildings and the end of time or something like that. And remember, I'm just scanning around, right? They said something about, they were lamenting again about no reason to really prepare for what's ahead. Somebody in the comments said, 
Yes, I think you're right. Getting prepared seems kind of crazy. And they went on to say, the people on YouTube getting prepared, the preppers, are all getting prepared with such horrible food. So, by that logic, because some people are preparing with horrible food, which is really, in a sense, the American diet, right? That they should be looked down upon, and preparing isn't necessarily important. We'll see how we have this class divide already. I think the people looking at this old building stuff feel smarter than the rest of the people. That's what I think, right? I think probably people who thought they were smart with early iPhones are now the same people who think all these old buildings are really the catnip of the world, okay? So, yeah, so there's lots of ways they lure you in to deceive you. And I don't know if any of this is true or not. I'm just going to tell you what I found because I found some interesting use of this word Tartarian they're all using, right? Well, they use a map to show where Tartaria or Tartaria or wherever they're talking about is from. I'm not going to engage in all that because, first of all, when you look at research, I was wondering, because I've only been really looking at these people the last few days because it's like the Bohemian Grove people. I kind of have seen them out of the corner of my eye. I knew it was BS, but I just wasn't sure exactly how deep the BS was, right? So when you start to look at this, first thing you look at the words they're using, right? Because they come up with these words. So, and these words all mean something to them. So it's important to understand what they mean, right? Well, first of all, it seems to rely on the fact there's these old maps, okay, that show this lost civilization. Well, I fell for a lost group not that long ago. I, I talked about it on a show. I fell for this group called the Carthers or Cathars or something like that. They were a religious group in France, I think in the 1800s or some, sometime around that time frame. Anyway, I believe that they were true at the time because they seemed like really cool people, right? They were against the oppression. They fought against the Catholic Church. They were the outcasts. Well, I'll come to find out it was all a lie, right? <laughs> so, you know, we can pick and choose what lies we want to prove and what, what, which ones we want to believe. But, you know, when the story starts to fall apart, it starts to fall apart, right? So people, the proof that everybody is pointing to are these maps, right? These old maps that show this region. Well, where did the maps come from? The other thing they point to, there was a thing from the CIA in the 90s. They have these Freedom of Information Acts where you can go and ask them for their records. Now... <laughs> um, through one of those acts somebody got a document from the CIA and that is the second part of proof that this is all real well I have a problem with an old map that's created by them and I have a huge problem with relying all of my research on a word said by the CIA <laughs> so let's take a look at why I think it's something nutty okay <laughs> okay, the word they're using is Tartary, T-A-R-T-A-R-I, which is Latin for Tartaria, French for Tartary, German for Tartary, and Russian. Okay, it was a blanket term used in Western European literature and cartography, that's for maps, for a vast part of Asia bound by the Caspian Sea, the rural mountains of the Pacific Ocean, 
and the northern borders of China and India at a time when this region was largely unknown to European geographers. Hidden treasures, right? Hidden treasures. The active use of the name place can be traced from the 13th to the 19th century. In European sources, Tartary became the most common name for Central Asia in a series of negatively colored names that had no connection with the real policies or ethnic groups of the region. Until the 19th century, European knowledge of the area remained extremely scarce and fragmentary. <laughs> Why? Because it didn't exist? <laughs> in modern English-speaking tradition, the region formerly known as Tartary is usually called Inner or Central Eurasia. Much of this area consists of arid plains, the main population of which in the past was engaged in animal husbandry, meaning they raised animals. Tartary was not a country, but rather a European name for a region poorly understood by Europeans. Ignorance surrounding Tartary's use as a place name has spawned conspiracy theories on the internet, including ideas of a hidden past and mud flood. Such theories contend falsely that Tartary, or Tartaria, was a lost civilization with advanced technology and culture. This ignores the well-documented history of Asia, Asia, excuse me, which Tartary refers to. Well, I believe that we did have a lost civilization and we did have advanced technology. Yeah, I believe all of that. We had all of that. But looking at all those buildings day in and day out doesn't exactly get us to where we want to go, right? So I gotta try to see if I can read this CIA piece here. It says, uh, okay, I can't read it. Look for, uh, they have a, it's called an excerpt of the declassified CIA document created in 1957. That's what we're hinging this entire deal on, okay, is this CIA document and those maps. So let's take a look at where these words came from, right? Okay, first, did Tartarus come from Tartarian? Why was I looking at Tartarus? Well, Tartaria is where the Greek word Tartarius originated from. This is not, it's not going to get tricky here, okay? Tartaria is where the Greek word Tartarus comes from, okay? It means the denotation of of lost souls spending eternity in Tartarus, the underworld, is due to the Tartarian Empire having been buried and wiped out during the mud flood. The world of the Tartarians is literally the world under our world. So, now we know that coming from supposedly the Greeks, Tartarian is a Greek word that comes from Tartus, okay? What's Tartus? It is a place where certain sinful angels are presently kept bound. This specific Greek word, word is only used once in the New Testament. 
it has no reference to the final destination of the wicked or hell. Tartarus is not even the final destination of angels. What that means, I have no clue. But all I'm saying is the word everybody's referring to, this Tartarite, means this Tartarus, right? So what does the Bible say about Tartarus? Which is really the same thing as Tartaria, right? Same meaning. Chapter 1, Tartarus. There are three different words in the New Testament Greek that are translated hell, H-E-L-L, in the King James Bible. They do not mean the same thing, but nonetheless, they are translated in the same way because men did not want to make the distinction. The three words are Hades, Gena, and Tartarus. Hades, H-A-D-E-S, that's a word for hell. The other word is G. E-H-E-N-N-A. And the other word is Tartarus. Those three words mean hell, okay? So, <laughs> take what you want, okay? Just take what you want. I'm just telling you what I think that they're doing here. Tartus was the lowest level of the ancient Greek underworld. It is the final destination for lost souls and a prison for those damned by Zeus. The gates of Tartarus were located beneath Thermicria and were guarded by Queen Hippoloa and her immortal Amazons. That is what Tartarus means, right? What is the actual definition? Tartarus, a primeval god, offspring of chaos. 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 <laughs> What's going on now? Just a tad bit of chaos. A part of the underworld where the wicked suffered punishment for their misdeeds, especially those such as something in Tantalus who had committed some outrage against the gods. So, think what you want, folks. Think what you want. Um, I don't remember. Um, that song that I played at the beginning, it was from the crazy world of Arthur Brown. This guy danced around on stage and had all kinds of satanic symbols. He wore um, um, devil's horns on his head. <laughs> and, of course, in the 60s, we had no idea how crazy that was. But listen to his words in this song that I'm going to close this thing with. I don't know if I picked the Jefferson Everson, Jefferson airplane song called white rabbit um white rabbit white rabbit white rabbit we are in fact in a illusion folks so anyways um be safe out there goodbye for now Tall. And he 
Tell them all who does. Smoking caterpillar. Hey.